0: So Genesis chapter 32, if you want to follow along, we're gonna be taking all of our points out of Genesis chapter 32. Now there was a man named Milton Wright who was a pastor and a bishop in the United Brethren Church in Christ in the mid-1800s to the early 1900s. And from his pulpit, so the story goes, from his pulpit and also in the magazine, the denominational magazine that he happened to be the uh, editor of, he railed against heavier-than-air flight. He said that man would never fly because it is contrary to the will of God. In other words, he said no matter what, Man's never gonna create a machine that could ever fly because God did not make man to fly and God did not want man to fly. But oh, the irony that Bishop Wright had two sons, one named Orville and one named Wilbur, who did not agree with their father. And before the end of Bishop Wright's life, he actually flew in an airplane created by his sons, the Wright brothers. Bishop Wright thought he was right, but Wright was wrong, right? We're starting a new lesson series this morning called Lord Willin'. Have you ever heard some of your good country uh, relatives? My grandfather used to say this, Lord willin', If the Lord willin' and the creek don't rise. You You ever hear that before? So we're starting a lesson series called Lord Willing, What is God's Will for My Life? And the moment we start talking about God's will for our life, we start thinking of things like, well, is it God's will that I marry this person? Is it God's will that I go to this school? Is it God's will that I get a new puppy? Something like that. But over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about some things that are definitely God's will for our life. And uh, we're just gonna jump right in the middle of it, okay? So this morning we're gonna talk about it is God's will for you, for me, for us to be holy. It is God's will for us to be holy. See, he got real quiet. Oh. Holy. He's gonna, it sounds like such an old word. It sounds like a churchy word. Or sometimes we, we only want to say, well, God is holy. But in First Peter 1.16, it says, you be holy, for I am holy. Around 33 times in the Old Testament, it says be holy, including six times where it specifically says, be holy, for I am Holy. Seven times in the New Testament, it says, be holy. But what does holiness mean? It literally means separate, set apart. Holiness is everything that sets God apart as God. It's his purity, it's his love, it's his goodness, it's his mercy, it's his justice, and they are all set apart from any outside influence, And they are separate from evil, selfishness, and wrong motives. And God says, be holy because I'm holy. He says, be like me. He wants us to live a life where where our influences are him. We're not influenced by the world where we are actually being set apart from places of of, of wrong thinking, of wrong motivation. But the thing is, God is holy. By his nature, he is holy. It takes a little work with us, doesn't it? It takes a little bit for us to get beyond our human experiential nature and start to live by our heavenly new creation nature. Hebrews 12:14 says, "strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord." Strive, strive for peace and it's implied strive for holiness also. In other words, it takes effort It takes effort to live at peace with people, doesn't it? Especially when they're getting on your last nerve, right? Thank you. It also takes effort to live a life of holiness. But what does this word strive here in the Greek? it, It means to pursue, to seek after earnestly. So we are to pursue and seek after earnestly the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what is the writer of Hebrews saying here? If, if you don't pursue holiness, you're going straight to hell. That's not what he's saying, okay? That is not the context of what he is saying. What he is saying is that you're never going to have this overflowing, satisfying, victorious, close relationship with the Lord unless we're actively pursuing him. If we don't pursue holiness, there will always seem to be something that is more important, more influential, or more attractive to our our mind and our emotions than God. And it usually winds up being our own selfish desires that keep us from pursuing God. But before we go any further, I want everyone to understand. Listen to me. Understand. Holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Okay? Holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts, and it's not just a formula to be followed. It's not a box to be checked. It's a lifestyle of seeking God that will influence our decisions. If our holiness, if our holiness... If our holiness does not cause us to love, reach out and care for people more, it's not holiness. It's just a religious mask. Trying to make me feel better about me. But that's not what holiness is. Holiness is seeking after God. So let's see a few things about holiness taken from the story of Jacob's encounter with God out of Genesis chapter 32. Everybody find it. Genesis 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, the man here is God, and that will be very clear as we get further on into the story. But the first thing that I want you to see is, number one, God is pursuing us. God is pursuing us. Jacob didn't wrestle with the man. The man wrestled with Jacob. You see that? So Jacob didn't start out wanting anything from God. He had not been praying. It didn't say suddenly Jacob was alone and he began to pray. It says that he was alone and God jumped on him. God wanted something from him. God is always pursuing us. You need to understand for us to even even be drawing closer to God, it's because he's drawing us closer to him. And God wanted something from Jacob. He wanted all of Jacob's proud self-reliance and scheming that he had been living his life by. If you remember the story of Jacob, he had tricked his brother out of his birthright. He had tricked his father into blessing him instead of his brother. He had schemed away to get the best of the flocks from his in-laws. He had snuck away from his father-in-law's house in the middle of the night just so he didn't have to deal with him. And just before we get to verse 24 here, Here's what the schemer had done. He had sent his wives, his kids, and some bribes before him because he was going to see his brother again, the same one he had tricked out of his birthright, the same one he had tricked out of his blessing. And Esau had said, next time I see him, I'm going to kill him. So instead of going first, he was going last. Sent his kids first. Sent his wives first. Sent bribes out there. He had it all figured out. And we think we've got it figured out sometimes, but God wants to change the way that we think. Romans 12, 2. I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. says, Don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will What God's will is for you. What's this whole thing that we're talking about? God's will, right? Knowing God's will. How are we going to know God's will when we let him transform our thinking? And when we do that, we'll find out that God's will for us is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, that word transformed right there. The Greek word is metamorpho. Does that sound familiar? Holiness starts with a metamorphosis, a transformation in our thinking. If we don't see ourselves as worthy, if we don't see ourselves as worthy of a deeper relationship with God, we're never gonna have one. And there's sometimes we need to to have our thinking transformed to begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. To begin to understand how much God does love us and to understand that God is not disappointed in us even if we're disappointed in ourselves. We need to have that transformation. If we don't recognize that our human planning and scheming is so far beneath the plans that God has for us, we may not recognize our need for transformation. Think about it. How often do we have the opportunity to refuse the behavior and the customs of this world? Daily, right? So if we have daily opportunity to refuse the behavior and customs of this world, it would make sense to say that daily we have an opportunity to be transformed. And... God can best get a hold of us just like he did with Jacob when we're all alone. Remember the first sentence out of Genesis 32, 24. It says, and Jacob was alone. Jacob was left alone. If we don't make time to be with God, there is no way we'll ever develop a deeper relationship with him. And I know we've got busy lives. I know we've, we, we've got work, we've got school, we've got, we've got families. There's some of us that got like 15 little kids living at home. <laughs> and I just don't have time, I just don't have time. And I remember a time in my life when, when I, was, I was working a full-time job and when I said full-time, it, it was more than full-time. But I still wanted to be a present dad. I still wanted to be there for my wife. We had just started getting involved in ministry here at the church, and, but my heart was hungry to be with God. But I just didn't have time and it just felt like I never had time. And God said, give me your moments. He said, if you'll give me your moments, I'll take it. Just like the offering of the, the, the little loaves and the couple of fish. You remember that? And Jesus took it. He blessed it. He broke it, and it multiplied. So I would just begin to give God my moments. We all take a shower every once in a while, hopefully. There's some moments there. I'm going to tell you who's really good at, at, at using their moments, my wife. That woman can pray down heaven while she's curling her hair. I, I, I have seen it happen. Give God your moments. Back in Genesis 32, verse 25, it says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, we're going to come back to that verse in just a minute. But verse 26 is what I want you to see right now. It says, Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So the first thing we saw was that God's after us. But the second thing that we need to see is we don't let go. We don't let go. God starts it, but we've got to hang on. It's kind of like teaching your kid to ride a bike. Uh, Every parent that has done this, you take those training wheels off and you run behind that kid, right? And that kid is just riding. You're making sure that they're not going to fall one way or the other. But sooner or later, you've got to take your hands off because they've got to learn to ride the bike, right? God starts it. He puts us on the bike. But sooner or later, we've got to ride the bike. Does that make sense? All right. So there's a blessing in a consistent pursuit of God. Psalms 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. When we're not hanging on to God, when we're not actively pursuing, we can forget the benefits or the blessings of holiness, of pursuing him. Psalms 103 goes on to say that forgiveness is a blessing. Healing is a blessing. Pulling your life out of the pit is a blessing. Love and mercy is a blessing. Separating our guilt as far as the east is from the west, that's a blessing. But we won't live in the blessing of the benefits if we're not pursuing him. So we've got to hang on. We've got to hang on. If we let go, we'll never see the benefit of the blessings. So back to verse 25, I told you we would come back to it. In verse 25, it says, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. Now listen to me. Hanging on isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it even feels like it's painful. And that's why most people let go. But if we're truly going to pursue God, if we're truly going to have this deep relationship with Him, we've got to hang on, even when it's uncomfortable. Sometimes in our holiness journey, God wants to deal with some things in our lives that may be painful. It may be difficult. Forgiving sometimes can be difficult. Dealing with past trauma. Sometimes can be painful dealing with relationships that have gone sour feeling betrayal addictions disappointment this can all be painful but allowing the Lord to heal us will ultimately be beneficial but not allowing the Lord to deal with these things Now, I know that there there are people that have gone through things that that I could not even imagine. Horrific things that I could not even begin to to, to imagine. And there's a wound there. And what do we do? We start to protect ourselves, and we start to protect ourselves by keeping everybody away. I'm going to protect myself. Now, God wants to be our protector but I'm gonna protect myself because I got hurt and I'm not gonna get hurt again. I'm not gonna let myself get hurt again. So therefore, everybody that would love me and help me walk through it, you stay away. Get away from me. Not allowing the Lord to deal with some of the, the, the hurt places, the broken places in us. It'll stop us in our tracks, in our pursuit of him. There was, a, there was a time where uh, I had gone through something where, where, where some people had really, really hurt me, especially this one person I'd been doing ministry with them, really, really hurt me. I mean, beyond hurt. I mean, they lied about me. They, they, they went out of their way to, to do me harm. And I hated this person. I mean, can, can I be honest? I hated this person because they hurt me so much that I left ministry and I left the church. But this was a Christian doing it to me. This was somebody who thought they were being led by the Lord. It happens. But a dozen years had gone by. The pain wasn't what it used to be. And the Lord brings it up to me and says, You never really forgave him. And the moment that I saw his face, <laughs> my gut just went, Ugh, I don't like him. But I knew the Lord was right. And the Lord said, if you don't deal with this, it's gonna stop you up. It's gonna keep you from from pushing in closer to me. And I'm telling you, even though I wanted to hang on to the hurt because I really wanted this person to hurt, I really wanted there to be some kind of retribution, I wanted God more. So I forgave him. I just, Lord... Forgive me for holding on to it for so long. Lord, I release this person. I forgive this person. That was on a Monday. On Thursday, a mutual friend died. And guess who I saw at the funeral? But when the Lord has dealt with something in your life, I saw him across the sanctuary, and my heart was actually happy. I was shocked. But I saw him, and I suddenly had this this, this care for him. And I went up to him and I just hugged him. Man, I've missed you. Since Monday, I've missed you. (laughs) But the Lord healed my heart. So we don't want to let anything that, that, that God wants to deal with, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, bad things have happened to us. But we don't want that to keep us from drawing closer to God. All right, verse 27. says, And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Because Jacob wouldn't let go, God was able to transform him. The name Jacob, in kind of a modern sense, means trickster, schemer, someone who would take advantage of you. Every time he introduced himself, what he was saying was, I'm going to trick you. I'm going to do something to you. I'm going to take something away from you. And that's the way that he lived his life. But God changed his name to Israel, which means he strives with God. The Hebrew word strive here means to persevere, to persist. To persevere or to persist. And if you mix that with the Greek uh, word strive that we took out of Hebrews 12 earlier, which meant to pursue and and seek earnestly, we could say that the name Israel could mean he persistently pursues God. Man, that's much better than trickster, isn't it? Every time you introduce yourself now, you're saying, I'm somebody that persistently pursues God. And this spoke to how he had perceived himself. Because he had been named trickster, he had lived like a trickster. But God changed his name and changed his nature. So the question is, what names do you allow to identify you? What name that God has not given you have you allowed to identify you? Moving on, verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Now let me just throw this out real quick. quick. Uh, It's got two different names the same place in that verse (laughs) I don't know why some some translations just call it Peniel but for some reason this one so I want you to understand we're talking about the same place okay Peniel so he had passed Peniel so here's the third thing I want you to see and I gotta get two out here real quick third thing I want you to see is when we encounter God we're changed forever When we truly see him, we're changed forever. I'm not talking about having a a religious experience. I'm talking about wrestling with the living God. When you have had a real experience, when you have truly seen him, you're changed forever. To be changed is the ultimate blessing of pursuing God and his holiness. It says the sun came up. It was a new day. It was a new beginning. And I always go back to the day that I got saved. It was was an awesome day. I love that day. But you know what? I can remember as I was reading this, I went back to that morning on my knees beside a road, 7 o'clock in the morning, and guess what's coming up? The sun's just coming over the trees. And I just had me a, a, a moment of worship as I was studying. Lord, thank you. Thank you for my new day. Thank you for for my transformation. It was a new day. It was a new beginning. It says that he, he passed Peniel, the face of God, because he had been in God's presence. It says his walk changed. His way of life changed. Now, be grateful we live in the time of day God doesn't have to break your hip to get your attention. Right? He wants to touch a place in your heart. Holiness is a pursuit of God and His will in our lives that will change the way that we walk through this life. It'll change the way we see the world. It'll change the way that we see others. It will change the way we see ourselves, and it'll change the way that we see God. All right, last verse. Genesis 32, verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. So let me run through these again. First, God's pursuing us. Secondly, we've got to hang on. Third, when we encounter God, we will be changed forever. But fourth, holiness will affect generations. Holiness will affect generations. The people of Israel did not eat the sinew of the socket. Because of what Jacob had gone through, it will affect generations. The effect of your pursuit of God will not only change you, but will influence your kids, your family, your spouse, your grandkids, your neighbors, your friends, your co workers, your church, and who knows what else. Let me just end with this my kids are not perfect. My kids are not perfect, but you know what? Even though they had their issues, they had their seasons of rebellion. They've, they had been up and down in their walk with the Lord. One thing they did get to see was their mom and I walking through the struggle and hanging on to God. They saw us dealing with church hurt. They saw us dealing with family wounds. They saw us follow God when it didn't make sense. They saw me. Listen to me, dads. My kids saw me in the Word. The Bible was not just something set up somewhere. Oh, yeah, we have a Bible. My kids knew because they saw me every morning when they got up. What was dad doing? Dad was sitting at the kitchen table spending time with the Lord. They've heard their mom pray prayers that got answered. They saw, as we believed for a miracle in my dying body. And they also saw how sharing the love of Jesus is as natural as breathing. If you got to work it up to show people that you love them, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry. If the love of Jesus doesn't fall out for us, if we don't have compassion for people, who are we? We are the representations of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And people simply need to know that God loves them. I don't care what you're going through, I don't care what you're in, I don't care what you're up to, I don't care what label you put on yourself. God loves you and loving that person should be as easy as breathing one of the greatest benefits of pursuing holiness is the effect that it has on our families so what do I want you to know holiness isn't necessarily what you do It's who you are. And who you are will influence what you do. What do I want you to feel? Hopefully you feel a stirring to draw closer to God. And what do I want you to do? I want you to make a decision that the next step in your journey of pursuing God, what is the next step? Where does God want you to go? And ask him to transform you by changing the way that you think. The reason that we hold back out of fear or whatever would keep us from pursuing God is because we haven't been transformed in that area of our life yet. But he wants to transform us. And then when it gets tough, because I'm gonna promise you, everybody look at me it's gonna get tough, it happens. If Jesus said in this life you will have tribulation, I mean this, this, this is God saying you will, right? When God said let there be light, there was. <laughs> and he said you will have tribulation, you will have stuff go on in this life that will make you uncomfortable that we will not like, but be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. So, in the midst of that tribulation, in the midst of that pain, don't pull back. Press in. Push in. He's already overcome the world. He already has the answer. He already has the provision for whatever it is that we might need. So, when it gets tough, hang on. Because he wants to change your nature. And he possibly wants to change your name. There's a scripture in Revelation that said that those that, basically, those that hang on, he's going to give them a new name. What is that name? I don't know. I'm going to be known as Chris while I'm here on this earth. Of you know what is what is, what does God call me? What does God call you? Your name in heaven may be Devil Stomper. I don't know. There is a name that God calls you and he declares over you. And the first thing it is, is loved and accepted and wanted and valued no matter what's going on, no matter where you are. Let me let you in on a little secret. Even if someone has never come into a relationship with God yet, they're still loved. They're still valued. They're still accepted. You hear that? So if he can, if he can love the people of this dying world, How much does he love his kids? How much does he love those who have stepped into that place of a relationship with him? And how much more does he want you to pursue after him? He doesn't say be holy because I'm holy, because I don't want you to have any fun and I don't want you to do anything. He says be holy because I'm holy, because the only way that you can draw closer to me is by being holy. we all go through through seasons where God'll say, "Hey, put that aside. Put that aside and spend time with me. Forget about that. Come be with me." And all we do is obey. God's not asking us to do anything hard. He's just asking us to trust and obey.